Okay. So we'll do a, uh, we're going to do sort of a potpourri of different Hilchot uh, Shabbat related uh, topics. Um, and the first question was about candle lighting. So just to give a, so candle lighting obviously is one of the mitzvot that is specifically usually associated with women, even though it's not actually technically specifically a woman's mitzvah, meaning that you have to have a candle you have to have light in the house on, on, on Shabbat. Is, so if the women are all not home because they went on one of those retreats where they take ladies away for, to, to learn and, and the men are home, they also have to light Hadlakat uh, they have to have the, You have to have Hadlakat It's not something that's specific for women. We give it to the women as a zikhut because they're home and the household is their uh, domain. And so we give them that extra zikhut and there's lots of different reasons why that are given for it. But, but, it, but essentially it should be understood that it's really a mitzvah on everybody. It's just that it's uh, given to the woman to have first dibs on the mitzvah, but it's not exclusively a woman's mitzvah. So obviously if a man, or if the woman for some reason can't, she's running so late that she's not going to be able to make it to light candles on time, which occasionally might happen. So then the man can light it as, uh, you know, in, in her stead and, and should, if it's not going to be lit otherwise. So the, the, that's just a very, very basic. Now, what's the biggest controversy that comes out about hadlakat? Well, it's not the thing that was on the questions. If I, I think the thing that was on the question was about like, if you're eating in somebody else's house, right? Or you're sleeping someplace and you're eating someplace. Um, we can get to that in a second, but uh, the, the, the biggest controversy is about when do you say the bacha, right? That's the controversy everybody likes to talk about. So what happens is that, in the, that generally speaking, for 99% of mitzvot, I wouldn't say 100%, but for most mitzvot, we say the bacha prior to performing the mitzvah. That's the usual rule, right? Even when a man, let's say, is shaking lulav and etrog, he's supposed to not pick it up the correct way until he says the bacha, because if he picks it up, then he can't say the bacha because he already did it. The only exceptions are, you know, uh, when, well, the, 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 the only official exception is when a person converts to Judaism. Right, because the Gemara says if a person converts to Judaism, they obviously can't say Asher ala tevila, which is the bracha that you say when you dip in the mikveh. They can't say that prior to being Jewish. That wouldn't make any sense, right? So obviously they have to say the bracha after they have uh, after they have immersed, because it wouldn't make any sense at all for them to say the bracha without doing at least one dipping. And so, um, so the the minhag of the Ashkenazim, so the Ashkenazim kind of built on this and said, oh. The Gemara says, to, because the Tevilat Ager is something which is, uh, is an exception to the rule, meaning it's a case, uh, the, the immersion of the con- convert is a case where the Bacha has to be said afterwards because there's no possible way to say it before. So they generalize from that and basically say, oh, all Tevilot, we should have the, 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 the ladies say the Bacha after the Tevilat. That's what happened in the Ashkenazi world. The Svaradim, Shulchan Aruch, and so on is... is is the uh, a hardliner on this and pretty much always tells you to say the bacha before every mitzvah. So he says you should do it before the tevilah and he says you should do the bacha before hadlakat nerot and he says you should do the bacha before netilat yadayim where actually the way that he does netilat yadayim is he does a compromise where he says that you should wash your hands the first time and then say the bacha and then do it again. So that way you get the benefit of doing it both before and after. The reason why they had this idea of, wa- of saying the bacha after netilat yadayim was, not, was because they were concerned that people would have dirty hands and it's not nice and respectful to be saying a bacha with hands that are dirty. So it's better to say it after you've already done the netilah, but you can't, you can't do it after you dried your hand because then the mitzvah is totally over. Everybody actually agrees with that. So you have to be careful. If you're somebody who says the bachav netilat daim after the washing, you have to make sure, say it before the drying. So at least there's some part of the mitzvah that's left, okay? 
These are the exceptions to the rule. So the question is, how much do you generalize? So when it comes to Adlakat Nerot, what was the reason why the Minhag developed for women to say the Bacha of Ladik Nishal Shabbat after lighting the candles? What was the, how did it, where did it come from? Maybe like, because they would say the Bacha and forget to light it. I don't know. That arg- argument could hold for any mitzvah then, right? Because you could always, that could always happen. And it was sometimes might. I mean, sometimes person says hamotzi and then they forget, then they start talking, they forgot to eat, right? It happens. Usually, yeah, did you have... Shabbat, and you can't do a malakha after you. Oh, yeah, that, that. Because it could be muksa, it could be like, uh-huh. you can't strike a fire, so people do it before, and then, like, the brachas is no problem. So they don't have any, like, what we call takalot, and, you know, like, no uh, mishaps along this. Malacha no. after you accept Shabbat, because Right, so this, that's the official answer, right? The official answer is that since the custom was with Hadlakat Nerot to accept Shabbat, so therefore, um, if you say the Bacha, it's like you're accepting Shabbat and then you're lighting it. So therefore, no, no, you can't do that because uh, you, you can't accept Shabbat and then light a candle, obviously. So instead, you light the candle, you pretend it's not there. Right, that, that's what they do. Right, they meaning they don't benefit from the light. So it says so. Like part of the mitzvah hasn't been done because they're not benefiting from the light yet. Right, they're really supposed to be not looking at the at the light. It's not supposed to be like I don't know what it, it looks like. They're like conjuring some. They have like a, one of those witches brew things that they're doing this. You know, and I don't know what that is. But really, the idea is that they're not looking at the light. They say the Bacha and then they enjoy the light. So it's almost like the mitzvah wasn't completed in a certain sense and they're, they're saying the Bacha. Now, that's where that comes from. Okay? The only issue with that is that official, technically speaking, you don't have to accept Shabbat when you light the candles. Right? So that's why the, the, in, the, in the Sephardic world, let's say the Rambam, Shulchan Aruch, uh, Shulchan Aruch itself, says, no, no, women should say Ladik Neoshel Shabbat before lighting the candles, because you're not accepting Shabbat when you light the candles necessarily. You can decide to do that, but you can also say, I'm going I'm to accept Shabbat a second after I light the candles, or five minutes after, or whatever. You don't have to. So um, that's why even, even uh, some rabbis have even tried to argue, it, didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't successful, but they tried to say that, you know, nowadays we should really light Shabbat candles before Hanukkah candles on Friday. We don't do that. What? Why? Because originally, why did they light Hanukkah candles before Shabbat candles? Because they accepted Shabbat when they lit the Shabbat candles. That was the logic behind it. But we don't accept Shabbat necessarily when you light Shabbat candles. Sometimes you light and then you use another 10 minutes of your 18 minutes for something else because you have something left that you had to do. Right? So, so why should you say the Bacha? Um, uh, why say the Bacha after? And why should you uh, light Hanukkah candles before? No reason. You can light it as close to sunset as possible. Um, so with regard to the lighting of the candle, let's just stick with the Shabbat candles. So Shulchan Aruch says you should, light can, you should light the candles after saying the Bacha, like every other mitzvah. And pretty much Shulchan Aruch is consistent that we always say the Bacha before uh, the mitzvah, even with regard to Tevilah, um, you know, with regard to everything. The only case that he gives as an exception is the case that the Talmud says, which is when a convert goes to immerse that they have to say the Bacha afterwards. Otherwise, he's pretty consistent. Um, the, uh, the, what happened was that the Ben Ishchai, this is where it gets complicated, the Ben Ishchai um, came along and he oftentimes would be, and this isn't a negative necessarily, I don't want to say this in, uh, in a way that sounds negative, he was a more, um, he took in everything, meaning he weighed all the different ideas and all the different reasoning and all of the different minhagim, and a lot of times he would come to a conclusion that was, 
more, was closer to what the practice was among Ashkenazim. And that was like one of the reasons why Rav Ovadia, in many circumstances, is critiquing the Ben Yishchai. Because yes, it's true, the Ben Yishchai, in the Shulchan Aruch, there are two people. If you open up the Shulchan Aruch, there is the Maran uh, Bet Yosef, who is really the Sephardic authority, and then there's the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Izzelis, who's the Ashkenazi authority. Now, the, Sephar, the Sephardic mentality of today is we only read the block print, you know, only the one that's the, the Bet Yosef, and this, whatever the Ramah says, that's for Ashkenazi people, we don't read it. Okay, but the the mentality of the rabbis in the you know uh, of most of the rabbis, if you look at what the Kafachaim, who was also a major uh, a major halachic authority after the Ben Yishchai, but before Rav Ovadia, that people like neglect today, unfortunately, he's really neglected. It was like a Mishnah Bruah for Sfaradim, really an amazing work, really comprehensive work that includes so many more sources than the Mishnah Bruah because it includes all these like obscure Sephardic sources and Minhagim that you would never find. Sort of like didn't, you know, doesn't get its proper respect today because Rav Ovadia eclipsed everything, you know. So people jump from the Ben Yishchai to Rav Ovadia, but there were others in the middle. These rabbis in the middle also, the Ben Yishchai and the Kafachaim, these are all Iraqi rabbis too. They tended to look at everything. So if the Ramah had a minhag or a point or a, or a, or a reasoning or something that they thought was, a, was good or made sense or they should be concerned with, they would adopt it. They didn't say, oh, because he's Ashkenazi, we're not going to. So there are many things that, that the Ben Ishchai accepted into halacha based on what people today would call Ashkenazi, you know, customs or Ashkenazi perspectives because he was, not because of a negative, but because of a positive, because he was learning all of the sources and he was weighing all of them equally and he wasn't saying, oh, this one's Ashkenazi, this one's Sephardic. You know, his baseline was still the Sephardic, but on a particular issue, he might go with the Ashkenazim, not because of a team thing like, oh, I'm, I'm on the Ashkenazi side. No, just because he thought that their point was a valid point. Okay? And that's not wrong. That's, that's fine. So, in the, uh, so many minhagim of Persians and of like Middle Eastern Jews in general came from the Ben Ishchai. Because if you think of like what Harav Avadiyah is thought of today, like that's what the Ben Ishchai was in his time. The Ben Ishchai was this, you know, was the rabbi. He was like, you know, the biggest Sephardic rabbi in the world. Everybody turned to him for their halachic queries and he was, you know, he was major, major. So to the point that like when Harav Avadiyah came on the scene, critiquing the Ben Ishchai would be like critiquing Harav Avadiyah now. It's like... People would be afraid to do that, you know, because he was so big in the minds of any Jew that grew up in like the Middle Eastern, uh, you know, the Middle Eastern Sephardic communities. So, so the Ben Ishchai took the idea of saying the bracha after the lighting of the candles, and that's how it got to the Persian community, and that's how it got to many other, uh, many other Sephardic communities who, for some reason, have this custom of saying the bracha after the lighting, even though the Shulchan Aruch says to do it before. Harav Ovadia came along and said, you know, how did we go astray here, start practicing these Ashkenazi minhagim? We have to go back to our minhagim and our minhagim. Our minhag is to follow the, the, the Maran HaBet Yosef and the Bet Yosef, Harav Yosef Karo, says explicitly that we, let, that we say the Bacha before and with all mitzvot we say the Bacha before and therefore we should say the Bacha before, not after. And that's where he, uh, that's why Harav Ovadia was so insistent. And there are many, many cases like this where the Ben Ishchai had, where... As a rule, any, any minhagim that you find in these Sephardic communities that, be, like, that now the new generation is saying, oh, that's not legit and you shouldn't be doing that, whether it's like saying a bachan, the halil of Rosh Chodesh is one that really becomes very controversial, big controversy, all of these things, there's a source for it and it's usually like the Ben Ishchai or you know, somebody like that 
from the period of time before everybody had this kind of a uh, um, strict orthodoxy of following only Rav Yosef Kara. You know, it's like sort of like they were trying to return to the roots of following just the, the Beit Yosef. And meanwhile, but for the past three, four hundred years, a lot of other minhagim crept in. And, um, and so this, this is one of them. So what do you do regarding that? So my, my thought is like this. When it comes to the people, especially the older people, that they've already been doing it this way for a million years. And this is the way that they do it. Don't go to your grandma. Don't go to your mom and say, Mom, Grandma, you know, you're doing this wrong. I learned in class. Did you do it this way? That's not, you don't do that. In your own practice, I think, you know, Rabbi Ben Chaim is our rabbi. And, you know, the, the, the best halachic practice is definitely to say the vacha before. Even arguably for Ashkenazim, I know even like certain Litvaks that they do that also. That they, you know, they're they're halachic purists, and they're like, "Why are we saying the bacha afterwards? It's not. A, it's not the." They, even the, even they've gone back to the original original halacha as as uh, maybe it should be in, in on the books in theory. You know, everyone's going back to the original books. However, so for for your own practice, that's probably the recommended way. The recommended way is say the bacha before, but don't go to the older people and tell them. Don't go, my personal view is, don't go to people who, you know, if a person comes to you and says, oh, you know, did, did you learn anything about what the way to do it is? And you could tell them, but um, it's not good to try to go and, and, and change them in hagim of people who are... You uh, ask them what their mother, what do you remember yeah, your mother did or your it, aunt or your grandmother, and like ask them. Yeah, find out what they their minhag is. They have very vivid part. memories. Yeah. One of my um, cousins, second, like my mother's cousins, Says, oh, I remember Bibi, which is my great grandmother. Yeah. She used to ask one of the little kids to come open the refrigerator because she refused to do she it. She wouldn't herself. open it. Yeah. I said she was Shomer Shabbat. She's like, yeah, but no one really knew. No one really knew. That's funny. <laughs> Secret Shomer Shabbat. No, but that's she, like she thought they were still in Meshach. They were holy people. They're not. Don't think yeah. that they we, they didn't know anything. They knew everything. Um, in terms of like whether or not you follow the Beit Yosef or like Shai, like I would get very confused. They put all the sources in front of me and yeah. they're like, okay, now which one? Yeah. Like, 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 Minhagim that pre, but even with regard to something like something controversial, like the whether you should say a bachan the halel of Rosh Chodesh, since you have old timers that this is what they were doing in Iran and this is what they were doing for probably two three hundred years. I don't know how long they were doing it. You know, even even because of that, in the sidur that they made, it says, "Look, you know, this is what we really recommend to do." But some communities have this custom, so they put the bachan there. And I think that's, you know, that's good for the people so that they... To say so I think the best thing, yeah. I went to Ashkenazi school and I always said it. And then yesterday, I think it was the first time I was like, wait, I should not be Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yes. Now you like mentioned, like, um, don't like, go to someone older and tell them, like, oh, don't do it that way. Like, yeah. a different topic. But, like, let's say, let's say an older person asks you, like, they don't really keep Shabbat, they don't know anything. They ask you, oh, can you please pass me the remote? Because, like, it's hard for them to walk. 
Like, is it better to respect them and, like, pass them the remote? Or, say, like, no. Like, you could just say, I, I'm not allowed to on Shabbat. I mean, I think that's the right thing like, to what say. What you feel like that's going to make them, like, resent Buddhism, like... Uh, still, I mean, you're not allowed to handle it. So I, I, think, I don't think you can break Shabbat to help them. But, you know, in any other way, I wouldn't, like, in any other way be... Even if it's, like, Dara or not, like, I I think it's good for you to stick to your to your principles because what ends up happening is if you right, but only when it doesn't contradict other mitzvot. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's just best because once you do that, then other things also you'll end up compromising more and more. It's just better for them to know, like that you that you don't do that on Shabbat, and they'll and I think that they if they see you're consistent, then. Hopefully they'll they'll respect it, even though it's. I give like yeah. a very specific example. Like, let's say they want you to help them bring like a food to the car mm-hmm. to take home from a dinner that they, we were at someone's house. Like, uh, and they open the door Shabbat. of the car on Shabbat. They open the door of the car. They just want you to like walk to the car with the food and then give it to them. Uh, and they're all. Yeah. They're all yeah, I don't think, but that, but you're not actually in that case. You're not actually breaking Shabbat. So you you're just carrying the food to, with them outside. I don't think that that would necessarily be wrong. And you're gonna eat that food tomorrow that they drove with to That's a whole se- that's a whole separate problem. That's a whole separate problem. Okay, but let's. What about Shafiyah? It's actually When? On the candles, right? So candles versus waiting for kiddush. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. What's our minimum? It's it's definitely recommended to do it at the kiddush. It's recommended to it at the Kiddush. But like the people who have that minhag, it's also, they're both valid. It's the same sort of story. You can say it. It's, if that's what you always did, there's nothing. It's not like a clear, uh, the main thing is that you say Shechiano on the, on the Yom Tov. It doesn't say it has to, absolutely has to be during the Kiddush. It's just that that's where they said it so everybody would do it. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's a, they, like if a person, let's say, forgot to say Shekhiyano in the Kiddush, so afterwards they have to say Shekhiyano. It's not like a part of the Kiddush. It's, we say it as part of the Kiddush, but you could, you could hypothetically say it after. Can we say the Shekhiyano or no? That's a men's It's a men's mitzvah, but it's part of the Kiddush usually, so you, you know, so you end up hearing it. Oh, you do? Yeah, so for ladies, they wouldn't say Le Sheva Sukkah because it's not a mitzvah for them to sit in Sukkah. So if I would say Kiddush myself in Sukkah, I wouldn't say You wouldn't say Le Sheva Sukkah. Okay, so what, you wanted to do something else? I think your hand was up and I feel... Yeah, yeah. I had a question going back to... Well, I had a question. Well, that's what happened, but one about... You know what you were saying? We shouldn't go back to our parents or our grandparents and tell them you're, you know... This is not right. What if they're actually doing, like, halakhically, like, they're fighting wrong? You know what I mean? Like... They're doing. Let me ask you this: Let's say wrong. Is it if you do the version of um, you light and then you say your bracha? Can you do things and talk in between? No, right. Between what? The lighting light, and the bracha. Light, and then you go and you do things and then you come back and say your bracha. No, you should still do it like right after you light then. Right. So let's say they do something like that. Is that something uh-huh. worth? Well, I, it doesn't, if you're the person, see, well, when we get to the issue of like being at different places and, and all that with regard to lighting, we can touch on that more. But I would say like a way to, um, a way to sometimes tell, it depends on the individual and you have to know who they are, right? But if you, depending on who it is and what their, 
receptiveness is to, you know, learning new things, you could say to them, oh, you know, I learned in class that, you know, you're supposed to do it this way or something like that. Don't tell them, oh, you're doing it wrong. You should never say that. Um, or do it this way. You should never say that. But you could say, oh, you know, whoever it is. Bibi Jun. <laughs> you know, I learned in class that you're supposed to write after you say the lighting. And then she might say to you, no, in Iran we did this one. And then just, fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Rabbi. Yeah. And I guess the question, if you're there, will be part of an Well, if you light, you fulfilled the mitzvah whether you said the bachar or not. That's always true. The bachar is never like me'akivit whether you fulfilled the mitzvah or not. It never is. So like, even if they didn't say the bachar at the right time, they lit. And if they were lighting for you, so the lit lighting was done. It doesn't matter if they said the bachar. There's no mitzvah that the bachar is like necessary for the mitzvah that you wouldn't fulfill the mitzvah if you did the mitzvah without it. Mm-hmm. Like a, a, if a guy puts on talit, filin, and he doesn't say any of the bachot, or he says the sfirat omer without a bachot, or whatever, any mitzvah that he does, you fulfill the mitzvah doesn't, without the bachot. The, the proof is that, let's say you go and you sit in the sukkah, you're not obligated, but you're getting credit for the mitzvah that you came to sit in the sukkah. So you know, the bachot is not part of the mitzvah, the bachot is a separate thing. That's why if you have a safik, if you did something or not, you're not sure if you fulfilled the mitzvah, you do, again, you do the mitzvah again without the bachot. That's why. Because you, you don't need the bachot for the mitzvah. This is a separate thing. Uh, if a TV is on on Shabbat in the house, mm-hmm. I understand that it's not not in the spirit of Shabbat, but if it's on, right. sitting there and watching you is against the lachah. No, yeah. There's no like it. Obviously, it doesn't say in the Shulchan Aruch anything about TV. Right. <laughs> so right. Fine. Right. Yeah. Going. So what would it be? Like the issue. The issue with watching TV. I'll tell you the truth. The issue is the is more about the content. Like, yeah. like that you're going to be doing things that are not in the spirit of Shabbat. Not the watching, actually, is not what's not in the spirit of Shabbat. It's the content of what you're watching. You're watching Stuyot, or you're watching... Let's say you, put a, let's say you uh, left on a National Geographic documentary about the, the, you know, about the creation of the world and the, and the galaxies and whatever, and you're watching that. Probably that would be, like, in the spirit of Shabbat, you know? But, like... But the problem is, it's, and, I, and I, I hate to use this kind of reasoning, but like there is a, a major slippery slope because like okay. you start doing that and then... And you know, like, let's put on, yeah, anyway. Now let's watch, uh, I don't know whatever people are watching now. What's, uh, what people are watching now? I don't even know. I, 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 I wouldn't have a TV to, to have the question. That's why the, the reason why the Shulchan Aruch doesn't have the t- uh, any halakhot about TV is because he wouldn't have a TV in his house, of course, because he was very religious. They didn't have TV yet. Sometimes you're like in a hotel lobby lobby or yeah. like in a hospital and there's a TV. You right, they do? have it so much. You're there. It's, it's yeah. not like you didn't do anything. It's about, you're not supposed to be involved in, in, in and conversing about and thinking about things that are outside of what is appropriate for Shabbat. That can happen in a conversation too. The guys could sit around or girls or whatever and be talking about business, talking about this, that. It's the same thing. It's called, well, either you have a thing called Dabir Devar, which is the prohibition of talking about things that are not related to Shabbat. You have Uvdad Dechol, which is like weekday, sort of common weekday things, meaning that it gets you out of the sense of the specialness of Shabbat. So, yeah, that can happen. But if a person actually had on their TV only like uh, uh, documentaries about Briyat Olam and this and that, 
and and shiurim from rabbis that pre-recorded, obviously, you know, uh, <laughs> would would it actually be against uh, the spirit of Shabbat? I, I don't think so, but you know, it, but it would it would it would create it would open the door to like other people like oh well I find it very enjoyable on Shabbat to watch uh, I don't know whatever TV show people are watching or Netflix or, no, that would be the problem. Right, so I can't imagine that that would be against the spirit of Shabbat. I'd be more concerned about like where it could lead after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. So, if you light the candles a little, way before Shabbat, you know my mom really aims to light the candles like when my dad goes to shul, uh-huh. which is now like then it becomes like at six thirty. And yeah, it's early. Right. So she lights the bracha. There's a limit on the time where you can, you know. Yeah. So let's say she lights like half an hour before Shabbat. That's okay. Yeah, you have like an hour and a half now. Uh, 6.30 30 would probably be too early now, but probably like six four five. Seven is usually okay. They have an early minyan here, and my mom's right. philosophy is once your husband goes to work, you have to take on Shabbat. Yeah. Oh, well, if she's right. taking on Shabbat, then no, there's no problem. So, like, Yeah, you're allowed to light with the brachan and do whatever you want afterwards. It's not connected. You leave the house right away, and you're not really enjoying the light. Can you turn, turn on lights in your house and that counts the same? Yeah, so I wanted to get to that point, actually, as a separate point. Okay. So, because the, the question came up about if you're eating in a different place or you're sleeping in a different place. Okay, it's a little bit complicated. So, there's a big controversy about this issue. If you're sleeping in one house and eating in another house, where should you light? There's a difference of opinion among the rabbis. There are some rabbis that say you should light in the place where you're sleeping, there are some people who say you should light in the place where you're eating. And um, in either case, it's, you know, there's not an, and I, I'm going to say things that are going to upset everybody. I apologize. <laughs> there's no obligation on the individual to light candles. It's not an individual obligation. If you are at your parents' house and you're, let's make it the simplest situation. You're eating and sleeping at your parents' house. You're not going anywhere else. You don't need to light candles if your mom or dad, you know, whatever the situation may be, is lighting Shabbat candles. There's no obligation on the individual. It's an obligation on the bayit. It's that, That's it. There has to be a candle lit on Shabbat in the house or candles. It's like Chanukah candles. You don't have to have a Chanukiah for every individual. The Ashkenazi may do that. You don't have to. It's near Ishu Beto, one, ha- one candle per house. It's the same thing. The idea that there's lit space. Because what was the reason for candles on Shabbat? The reason for candles on Shabbat was Oneg Shabbat and Shlom Bayit. That people could, didn't bang into each other, could enjoy their time. It's sitting in the dark and all that is not pleasant. And they're going to end up banging into each other and being in a horrible mood on top of it. So, because, you know, it affects, your, it affects a lot about your, your psychological experience when, you are, uh, when you're in the dark. It's, it's actually like very disconcerting. And people get, it stresses you. So, uh, so that, that's the reason behind it. So it doesn't mean, like every individual doesn't have to light Shabbat candles. I know that that's a very, very upsetting thing because people believe that they need to light them. And, but, uh, but that's not really what the requirement is. You don't even have to be there. The fact is you're responsible for making sure that there's a light, that there is a, a lit house. Not in the not lit like the way that you guys use the term. I'm talking about <laughs> that there is light in the house. Okay, but if you, I, I don't know if you use that. You don't use that one. It's uh, lit. Because you're the person I hear most of the cool slang from. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I, I, I learned a lot of it. From. Um, but uh, 
but um, that's the thing. You're responsible for making sure that the house is, you know, illuminated, but it's not an individual obligation. Somebody has to do it. Uh, in fact, you would get into a problem, and now I'm really going to get myself in trouble for saying this, but I apologize. You can blame me. You, but I, I have this, this same issue with Ashkenazi people that they have everybody in the house light a Chanukiah and they each say a bracha. It's actually very problematic because the first person who did it already actually fulfilled the mitzvah. And then each person who's doing it afterwards is doing like a hidur mitzvah. But how can you say all the bachot again on a hidur mitzvah? It doesn't, it's just, an, just a beautifying of the mitzvah. It's not really, a, the first person already fulfilled the thing. How can you say asher kiddishanu again? It's really problematic. So the same is true if you have multiple people lighting. Whenever I see those big Shabbat dinners with all these ladies lighting and I'm like, oh boy. They all go and they say it. You know, so like, I'll tell you what my personal thought is and I'll tell you what I know that I think I'm pretty sure of Ovadia comes down on the side that you should light candles in the place that you sleep I haven't checked with Rabbi Ben Chaim about it I would suspect that he might also agree with that my personal leaning is that it's where you eat because that, for many reasons but I never discussed it with Rabbi Ben Chaim but yeah I think it should go by where you eat right um a lot of rabbis think it should go by where you sleep. I think it should go by where you eat for the very simple reason that when the Gemara talks about it, it says that it's so that you can eat in, a, in an illuminated environment. You don't need light where you're sleeping. On the contrary, you right. don't want light and where you're sleeping. Right. In fact, when you're, when you're um, on Yom Kippur, right? On Yom Kippur, you light. They, the reason why they would light candles was so they wouldn't be, they, you know, so that it would be lit in the room and the men and the husband and wife wouldn't be intimate with each other, meaning that they, because the light is on, right? And normally it's supposed to be in a dark room. So that's, that's one of the reasons that's given for why they would light candles on Yom Kippur. So that in the place where you sleep. But you could see that on Shabbat, you wouldn't want that because you, you don't want light. In that's my personal opinion. However, what, what's beautiful and what I have discussed with Rabbi Ben Chaim is um, that there's no requirement, and here's another mind-blowing thing, there's actually not a requirement to use candles. So, and, and uh, I think many people know this, right? So using electric, even LED, any source of illumination is allowed for Nirod Shabbat. Not for Havdalah. For Havdalah, you have to have a real fire. For Chanukiah, you have to have a real fire. Because in both of those cases, there's like a mitzvah ner, actual candle. In the case of, of, of Shabbat, it's really just about the light. There's no mitzvah of specifically about candle or it's specifically about... Shal, shal right, but the, but the whole takana was that the house be lit. There's no idea that you have to do it. Like when it comes to the Chanukiah, we're doing Pirsumanes through a specific medium because we're remembering the menorah. Yeah. Right, but what? But they have a common uh, denominator, which is that that it won't won't go out, or that it won't uh, it won't smell bad, or you know things like that. So we usually don't have those problems with electric lights either. So the great thing is you can actually do both of these things just by using electric lights in both places, and you don't have to worry about if you're going out to eat. Because my my really uh, my big concern is that I always tell people what you should not do ever is leave candles unattended in your house on Shabbat. Even for the shortest time, it's extremely dangerous. And I know you think it's never going to happen to you. But so did all the people that it happened to. So, 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 so,
Um, you can turn on a yeah. You can do that. Turn on lights and 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 uh, and before you go out and uh, I mean before Shabbat starts, obviously. And then if you're going out to eat somewhere else, you can say, look, if basically you're you're if you hold and depending on what you know, we can ask Rabbi Ben Chaim what the official position of the community is. I'm assuming that he says it goes by where you sleep, even though my personal leaning is otherwise. But you know, we I'm, uh, we're going with the community. So in in the uh, you know, you would say the bracha on whatever you think is the main lighting, right? If you were, so personally, what, what I've always done myself is if we're eating out somewhere else, I just rely on wherever we're eating at their lighting Shabbat candles. And, you know, obviously we leave candles on at, at home, but we don't say the bracha on them just out of suffix. And maybe, you know, we don't need to. Um, so you can light the candles, meaning light electric lights in your home, have the house illuminated and then go to somebody else's house and they'll probably have Shabbat candles as well as plenty of lights on, I assume, and, and you'll fulfill the mitzvah on either, either side. Um, but it's very, I know so many people that have had terrible things. I, more people than you would think, like that I know that, that have had, I know somebody whose house burned down twice what? from different candle-related things. It was Hanukkah candles, but... Um, you know, yeah, because there's more of them. But I had one time, I had twice happened to me, twice, that I left some, when I was younger and less, you know, responsible, of course. What about left the Chanukah, I left the Chanukah, and, I, and I, I had to go away for Shabbat. And it was Chanu, Shabbat Chanukah, so I lit at the earliest possible time. Like, I filled it very high, and I'm like, okay, because I want to light it in my house. I don't want to have to go wherever. And when I got back, the fire department had like kicked down my door and all that because my alarm had gone off. Nothing was burnt, but I guess it got smoke. And then another time, I lit the candles and my parents lived across the street. We said, oh, no problem. We're just going across the street. We'll be able to see from here. We're at their house and all of a sudden we hear fire department coming. Like, oh, I wonder where the fire department's coming. It was to my house right across the street. Okay. So, again, that's Chanukiyas. Nothing terrible happened in either of those cases, but I do know people that have had terrible things happen. So I just always remind people, like, when, it, when I was a shul rabbi in Maryland, they used to have a custom, like a tradition, not a custom, a tradition of having, like, a Shabbat Chanukah dinner in the shul, like a, Shabbat, a special Shabbat dinner. And I, like, abolished it. I'm like, no, because people are going to light Chanukah candles in their home, and they're going to come, and it's dangerous, you know? So... Uh, I know it sounds like very old-fashioned and all that. If you're using real candles, even though Rabbi Ben Chaim told us many times, you don't have to use real candles and there's no need to do it. And he was very emphatic about that. And he said it's not safe and there's no reason to do it and people get into danger with it. So you can, you can use electric candles, electric lights, and it's no problem for Shabbat, for Shabbat. And, and Yom Tov. Not Shabbat and Yom Tov. And, right? not, and you can make the regular bracha and, and, and you're fine and you're safe. And it's, it's really a good option for, um, you know, for nowadays. You could just turn on the lights and say, Bracham Yeah, so if you're, even if you're lighting Shabbat candles, real candles, it's always better to turn off the lights in the room that you're lighting the Shabbat candles. It's, an, it's a good thing to turn off the lights. And then if you're saying the Bracha before... Then you say the bracha, you light the Shabbat candles, and you turn the lights back on that you're going to leave on. Because if the lights are already on and you're lighting a candle, what good is the candle? The candle not doing anything. Right. So it's better to do it that way. And if you're saying the bracha afterwards, then you light all the, you know, you should turn off lights, light the candles together with the lighting of the Shabbat candle, and then say the bracha. Because it's, uh, it's, you know, really whatever illumination you have is all part of the mitzvah. It's not just those two candles that you have there.
still, let's say I'm coming to my mom Friday night, I'm still supposed to like for myself. Or no. I, I if, look, my, my personal practice is I, if I'm eating somewhere else, I rely on them. But if you're going to light at home, if your practice is to light at home when you, like, where are you sleeping? So then you should light at home. But if I'm going for Separate. a meal, right. I can light there also in addition to her? Or I no, you don't need to. Then. For sure you don't have to. For sure you don't have to. If she's lighting there and you lit something at home and you're counting that for your Shabbat candles, then you're good. And if you're counting where you eat, then you, her candles are good. Okay, so you don't let's need. say I'm running late. And she lights for me until when can I say the bracha? If she lights for you, you don't need to say the bracha. Like, like she lights my candles. Right. And keeps me in my... You don't need the bracha. You don't need to do the bracha then. Somebody else did it for you. You're good. You're covered. You're covered. I heard before, like, if you're running late, somebody else can light the candles, but you come later and say the bracha. That's not what they You don't need to do that. Okay, gotcha. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Okay. So let's say I'm eating and sitting in my mom's house. Should I light my personal candles in, like, the room I'm sleeping in? Do you have a separate apartment? No, like my bed. Like, <laughs> no, no. If you're in, if you're in the same house, no. Only if you have a separate apartment, you could do that. Can you do like you one in the kitchen and one in the living room? You, you could. Two women Yeah, we had a discussion about that. Yeah, but if they're not really separate, so then you're not really, you don't really have an obligation to have a separate lighting if you just have a separate bedroom. But maybe I'll be lighting like ten minutes later. Should I just light in my bedroom? If you're, I think if you're living there, you should just have one light, just oh, one no, person light for everyone. No, I mean, if you're staying there, just have one, either your mom or you light for everyone and just have one mishutefet. What if you want to? Most girls want a light. Right. The concern, yeah, so I would, if you want a light, then the best thing is to do it together so one person says the bracha and everyone lights. That's the best thing. Because you're in the same space. That's the best thing. Yeah, you shouldn't do more bachot because once the first person did it, like, now you're doing like a bachali batala potentially. Can I light where I'm sleeping, say the bracha, and then get in the car and go to the place I'm eating? It's no problem to travel after you light. Or if it's in the you can just light, get in the car, and then say the bracha. We don't automatically accept Shabbat when you light candles unless you have in mind to do that. If you had in mind to accept Shabbat, then no. If you're not accepting, yeah, just say I'm not accepting Shabbat, you light, and yeah, then you have another however many minutes to go. So if you don't have it in mind as you're saying the bracha, but after you're done, you say... Am I Shabbat yet? Is that right. fine? Or do we don't say by default that you accept the Shabbat. We don't say that. It's not by default. Like you, the, the default is that unless every time you light candles, you always automatically accept Shabbat, we don't have to assume that. We just say, we, 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 yeah, when Shabbat starts, it starts. Yeah. It's nice to start a little bit early if you can. Right. Can you undo what you've already been doing? Like, you're saying you don't have to, you don't have to, but can you, if you have been doing it, can you stop? Have been doing what? Like, you don't have to say... You don't have to light your own candle if you're sleeping at someone's house. Like, can you stop if you've already been doing that? Yeah, you don't need to do it. Okay. Can you um, go back to the part about whenever, like, the men go earlier to shul and, uh-huh. like, can you just clarify for me? Because me and my husband always have this, like, argument. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, yeah. he comes home and, like, you're still not ready. on the iPad, and I'm like, he's like, it doesn't matter. They didn't take in Shabbat. I'm like, yeah, but, like, you went to shul. Like, can you clarify? <laughs> well, I th- you know, ideally, ideally, if you know when your husband who's going to synagogue is accepting Shabbat, you should try to accept Shabbat at the same time. That is ideally correct. Right, meaning if you know he's going to 
6.30, and probably Shabbat is accepted there at 7, because if they're doing 6.30 Mincha, by the time they get to like actual Kabbalat Shabbat, where they're saying Mizmur David or whatever, it's probably already 7, 7-ish. So you should try to start as a family the Shabbat at the same time. Okay. Right? If you can't, for whatever reason, there's a reason not to, then it's not like absolute requirement, but it's best to do it that way. Because you can always say, well, you know, he went to that minyan and I'm having in mind uh, the other minyan that they're finished, they're starting at the, reg- you know, they're starting it right before Shabbat. They're not starting early. Well, Meaning, like, no, it's, it's okay. It's reason. ideal for the whole family to start at once. Right, had a real reason, then you not can be like lenient. Just because they want to still be on their phones, like just right. Like you're not done cooking. You're not done with something, or yeah, or there's something important okay. besides playing on the iPad. I mean, yeah. to the child, that's important. <laughs> it's all relative. <laughs> True. You can you'll, you'll you'll find you'll go through a stage where you know your kids will start arguing with you that you don't understand what's actually important because you don't realize how important that is what they're doing. That, that will happen to you. I promise. Yeah, like, let's say they'll be like, but I didn't take Shabbat because Shabbat was at 7.30. Like, well, I think I, the best thing is to sort of say, okay, dad's going to shul at this time. So as a family, you know, we're starting Shabbat at 7.05 or whatever. And that's just the time we're starting Shabbat. Oh, so like, let's say not at 6.30. Yeah, when they're actually doing Kabbalah Shabbat in the shul. It's like 30, 40 minutes after what it says on the paper because by the time they get there and they do Mincha, then they start doing Kabbalah Shabbat and you really don't have to accept it until, let's say, Mizmur David. It's like at least a half hour in. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, they say to do that. They say you can use the bathroom. They say because people because in the because in the hotel rooms a lot of times the reason is because it doesn't it's not like holy the, the Shabbat candle and the 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 truth is at least in my experience it's been a while since I've done Shabbat in a hotel like basically in the night that's the light you actually use because like if you you can't see a thing so you just open that door and you actually use that light to see what you're doing in the room so it's actually like legit a Shabbat candle uh, from that perspective you know yeah because you're it's actually what you're going to use. You know? Yeah, now you have those. What? Not inappropriate. Our bathrooms today, in general, halakhically, are not really considered bathrooms. Because, um, because they, yeah, because, our, our, because in, the, in the times of the, uh, of the Gemara and everything, in olden times, they had, you know, there was, wa- they had outhouses and like, and, and the, the waste accumulated in the place and it was really a disgusting place. You know, in our bathrooms, like a clean bathroom is pretty much as clean as the rest of the house. I mean, you know, it's like uh, it, you, the waste flushes down. People keep their bathrooms clean. It's part of the house. It's not like it used to be. So, but they didn't have, you know, until relatively modern times, they didn't have plumbing like we have now, indoor plumbing and things like that. Although they did have such a thing in the Gemara. The Gemara talks about it. The Gemara talks about what's called a Persian toilet, actually, interestingly. They call it the Persian toilet which I guess in, in Iran or whatever, in Persia, they had invented like a sort of plumbing system that whisks away whatever the thing is. And it was called the Persian toilet. They said that, near that, you're allowed to say a because it's, you know, there's no waste there accumulating, right? If you want to see a real bathroom, according to the Gemara, go into the bathroom at Penn Station. 
Okay. It, uh, well, at least in the I I went in there maybe once or twice in my life in like in in, in an emergency situation, and it was not pleasant. Or or I'll tell you another really good one. I was once in East Jerusalem. Not recommended. Not recommended to go there, and not recommend. I was in East Jerusalem. Yeah, I was in East Jerusalem. It was like for to go through like Tzinor Chizkiyahu. Have you ever done it? Yeah. So. It's like a, you know, it's run by all these Arabs and whatever. And uh, this guy with like a long beard and a white robe and whatever is in charge. And I'm like, excuse me, do you have a bathroom? He's like, sure, sure. He takes me to this place. It's literally just like a hole in the ground. There was, the, that was it. That's like a real bathroom. That's what the Gemara is talking about when they say bathroom. To give you a sense of, you know, but our bathrooms are, they would consider our bathroom is probably nicer than their living room. You know, our bathroom is probably cleaner than the living room that they had. Like, in fact, you know, I was reading, I was just saying the other day, Harav Melamed is a very, has very excellent uh, books on halakha. And uh, he talks, a lot of the stuff that he does that's fascinating is like, he's so knowledgeable, but he's also very knowledgeable about modern, modern things. And one of the things that he said was that, you know, about kashering, like when you do hechsher kelim, you take a pot and you boil it. He's like, you know, it's not really that the flavor absorbs into the pot. He was saying it's not really that the flavor absorbs into the pot because scientifically, in metal at least, in, maybe in earthenware, yes, because it actually does seep in. You could see the color seeps in. He says in metal, it doesn't really seep in and the molecules are actually too close to each other scientifically for anything to get in between. He said, you know what it was? Soap was only invented just over 100 years ago. Okay, or 120 years ago. It's like they really couldn't clean it until like 120 years ago or something like that. They didn't have effective soap. So that's why they had hechsher kelim for metal because it wasn't really what absorbed into the pot. It was that they couldn't really effectively clean it. You know, so obviously the halakha was established that that's how we clean it. We clean it by doing the hagalah. We do it that way. That's right. That's the, that's the halakha that we do. Right. That's what we do. But... The, uh, but I've heard, and also I've heard even from Rabbi Ben Chaim himself, and Rav Melamed says it also, and I've heard from other poskim also that the Echsher Kelim of today, we do it because it's the Halakha, but, but, uh, but you know, and, and definitely in the case of uh, earthenware, it's, it, it is a real thing that it absorbs. But, um, but most, you know, metal by and large, it can't really absorb anything. Uh, it's just that they weren't able to clean it. So a dishwasher... Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a, a lot of the things nowadays, like rabbis give more lenient rulings because they know that the absorption doesn't really happen. But I don't want to get too controversial. Give me every controversial topic in one shiur. So we better stop now. Yeah, one more question. Uh, what do you, wait, what happened to the meat fork? The meat fork became dairy. Oh, it became dairy? Right, so it became non-kosher. So how do I... So, the, so what, what you do is you, you wait 24 hours, okay. obviously, yeah. with the thing. And then if it became trafe, you have to wait 24 hours. Meaning if you want to just switch something from meat to dairy and it's, and it's, it's kosher, you don't need to wait 24 hours. Right. If you want to switch something that became non-kosher, so you have to wait 24 hours, and then you put it into a pot of the type that you want it to be. Yeah. So if you want it to become meat, so you put it into a meat pot that, you know, and then boil. One second. It only takes a second. Still have to put a stone if you go there, that's only if you're kashering the pot itself. 
The stone is to make the water overboil on the sides. That's why they would make a hot stone and they would put it in so the water would overboil. But in the... And then afterwards, you always wash off the, the utensil with cold water, right? That's right. So you guys know this, all right? It's, it's based on what they did in the Beit HaMikdash. It says in the Torah that what they did in the Beit HaMikdash was they first boiled the pot, and then they washed it with water, cold water, so that's what they did.